Hey, good morning. I'm glad that you guys have uh, joined us as we begin uh, this new series called uh, My Questions. And, uh, you know, I've discovered you guys uh, have a lot of questions, and I'm excited about uh, trying to answer those. Now, let me ask you this. How many of you would uh, rather be here than the finest hospital in Southwest Florida? Yeah, see, it's a great place to be, isn't it? It's just a matter of putting life in the right perspective. Just wanted to help you out with that. Seriously, I am excited as we begin this uh, new series. And you have asked a lot of questions, and I am glad that you have asked a lot of questions about the Bible. And uh, so I brought along uh, those questions today, and uh, if you're ready, I plan to answer those questions for you right now. Here we go. Ready? Yes? No? Probably not. I don't think so. You got it? Okay. I plan to give you a little more than that. Uh, Here's how we're going to handle this, because you ask a lot of questions. And so today, I want to deal with the questions that you have asked about heaven, because that was the most popular topic. And so I'm going to try to answer all the questions that you have asked about heaven today. Then next week, I want to take uh, what are left, which is a wide variety of questions, and deal with as many of those as we have time. Now, there's no way in the next two weeks that I can cover all of the questions that you have asked. And so here is what I plan to do in the coming weeks. After the series is over next week, I'm going to take all the questions that remain and handle at least one of those every week in my blog over the next couple of months. So I will eventually get to everyone's questions. And next week, I'll remind you how you can connect uh, to my blog, where over the course of time, I will eventually answer all the questions that you have already uh, submitted. Now, today we are going to talk about heaven, and as we talk about this, you may have some additional follow-up questions specifically about heaven. And here's what I want you to do if you have that. I want to make this somewhat interactive. And so if you have a question today that's a follow-up to to heaven and what we're talking about, you can text that. And uh, here's the number you can text it to. If you'll simply text that while I'm talking, there are some guys who are going to to coordinate all of that. And then I've allowed some time at the end of my talk today. Uh, to answer as many of those follow-up questions as we have time. So don't hesitate. If you wonder about something while I'm talking, just go ahead and text that, and uh, we'll take a look at those at the end of our message. Well, I wondered this morning, when you think about heaven, what's your image? I hear people say sometimes, well, I think heaven seems like it's going to be kind of dull and boring. You know, it sounds like it's going to be one long church service, and that doesn't sound like very much fun. Or or they have this image that heaven will be that we're floating around on a cloud and we're all playing our harps, and that doesn't sound very appealing to them. Well, I want to tell you this morning, uh, none of those pictures are accurate. And, And you know what I thought this week? If that's the image that somebody has about heaven, then no wonder they're kind of hesitant to tell their friends the story of Jesus. Because if they're not excited about where they're going, they're probably not too anxious to take people with them. So today I want to try to give us a clear picture, a clearer picture at least, of heaven because I want us to be excited about going there. And I want you to desire to take as many people with you to heaven as possible so that you'll tell them the story of Jesus. Now, here is one thing that the Bible makes really clear to us. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, the Bible says this very clearly about the future. Paul's writing, he's a leader in the early church, and he says this, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love Him. Paul's pretty clear here that what God is preparing for us in eternity is beyond our imagination. It is beyond what we are capable of wrapping our minds around. I think that's the reason that as we read through the Bible, there is not a lot of detail about heaven. 
There is not a lot of great in-depth picture of exactly what heaven's going to be like because I think God realized He couldn't put it in words that we would be able to comprehend. It is beyond what we can imagine. It is beyond what we can conceive in our minds. It is going to be a spectacular place. Our family uh, several years ago now went to uh, California on vacation. I've mentioned that before. And uh, one of the places that we visited was Yosemite National Park. And uh, Yosemite is, to me, just one of the most spectacular places on earth. And I can remember, you know, being there and seeing the mountains and the waterfalls and being there with the three people that I love the most in the world, my family, and just thinking, this is incredible. This may be as close as we get to heaven on earth. Here I am enjoying the scenery of something that is beautiful and spectacular that God has created, and I'm doing it, sharing it with people that I love. And I think those first few moments when we get to heaven, it will absolutely take our breath away. It will be spectacular. It will be beyond our comprehension. And we are going to get to share it with people that we love. Now I want to look at some things that the Bible specifically says about heaven We're going to look at about three different passages today. So if you have your Bibles, I want to encourage you first to open it up to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Again, it's Paul writing here. He was a leader in the early church and God gives him some kind of picture of what is to come and helps him as he writes these words. God inspires him. So in 1 Thessalonians, about two-thirds of the way or near the end of the New Testament part of your Bible, um, if you get to... uh, First and Second Timothy have gone too far, but right there, here's where we go. First Thessalonians chapter four, verse thirteen. Paul says this: "Brothers, we do not want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep." Now he's not talking about uh, dad falling asleep in his chair when he gets home from work. Okay, he, he, I don't know if that happens at your house. It, it does at mine pretty regularly. He, he's talking about people who have died. He says we don't want you to be ignorant about those who are have passed away. Or to grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. We believe that Jesus died and rose again. And so we believe that God will bring Jesus with those who, fall, who have fallen asleep in Him. God is, Paul's writing here and he says that there is going to be a time when Jesus comes back again. A second coming. And when Jesus comes... Everyone who has fallen asleep or died up until that point, Jesus is going to bring them with Him. Verse 15. According to the Lord's own Word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left till the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. Verse 16. For the Lord Himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet call of God, The dead in Christ will rise first. So Paul says that Jesus is going to come again. And when He does, those who are followers of Jesus Christ who have already died will have a resurrection. Verse 17. After that, we who are still alive, that would be us if He were to come right at this moment, and our left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so, and here... Here, friends, if you want to underline anything that we read today, here, I think, is the most important statement about heaven. And so, we will be with the Lord forever. 
Therefore, encourage one another with these words. We will be with the Lord forever. That's the definition, as far as I'm concerned, of heaven. Heaven is being with God literally in His presence for all of eternity. That's what makes heaven, heaven. Bob Russell is a retired uh, pastor in Kentucky. And uh, for me, growing up in my early years of ministry, Bob has always been kind of uh, a hero of mine, somewhat of a, a mentor from afar. I have watched him and studied him and been impressed by his leadership. Bob is retired now, but has written a book. And in his book, he writes about the death of his father in Pennsylvania. He says that uh, when they gathered for the funeral, it was a uh, very snowy day. So they gathered for the funeral, but when it came time to go to the cemetery, the, 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 director, the funeral home director said, you know, there's just no way with the condition of the roads that everybody can make it up there. And Bob said, well, we're going to go. The family is. And so they... They loaded the body in the hearse and Bob and his brother and their sons all dropped, uh, jumped in an SUV and made their way through about 10 inches of snow. They got within about 25 yards of the graveside. And then the six of them lugged that casket up and watched as it was lowered into the grave. The funeral director said, that's it, we'll take it from here. And Bob said, no, that doesn't feel right. Let's pray together. And so on that cold, snowy, windy day, they huddled around that grave and Bob prayed this. He prayed, it's cold and lonely here. And then at that moment, he was overcome with his emotion. And in a moment or so, when he could regain control, he finished his prayer by saying, but we thank you that we know that he is safe in your warm arms today. See, I think that's a picture of heaven. Yes, when we die, our bodies are placed in the ground. But our souls, our spiritual being, who we really are, we go to be in the presence of God. We are safe in His warm arms, not here in this cold, lonely place. And that, again, is the definition of heaven. You see, a lot of us have these kind of strange images that we've allowed other people to put into our minds about what heaven is going to be like. And we have these strange ideas about what's going to happen there. And sometimes, to be honest, we hear those images and we think, ah, I don't know. I don't know if I want to be part of that. And sometimes we have uncertainty about exactly what's it going to be like. But here's the thing that makes heaven so appealing and takes away all of that uncertainty. The Bible is very clear about this part. That heaven is being in the presence of God for eternity. In fact, Paul, writing in another place, was having sort of an inside battle, a mental battle over his own future. He writes this in Philippians 1. He says, For to me, living is Christ, and dying is even better. Yet if I live, that means fruitful service for Christ. Paul says, if I get to go on living here on earth, I get to keep serving Jesus. I keep, get to, keep getting to make a difference in people's lives. I really don't know which is better, he says. I'm torn between two desires. Sometimes I want to live. And sometimes I long to go and be with Christ. That would be far better for me. You see, Paul again indicates that when we die, 
Our bodies may be placed in the ground, but immediately we find ourselves, our souls, our spiritual being in the very presence of God. Now some people then will say, well, okay, that's great, but where is this place called heaven? What exactly is it going to be like? Will there be pearly gates and will Peter meet us at the gate? Which, by the way, I I heard about... uh, a woman who, fairly young age, passed away because of some kind of illness. And when she got to heaven, she was greeted at the gate by Peter. And uh, I know you're already going, oh, it's one of those jokes, isn't it? It's a pretty good one, I think. So she's greeted by Peter, and uh, Peter says, well, to get entrance into heaven, you simply have to spell a word. And she thinks, well, I've never heard of that before, but okay. He says, and the word is love. She spells it L-O-V-E, and he says, come on into heaven. And she begins to enjoy the beauty and wonder of heaven and, and being there within the presence of God. And one day she's having a conversation with Peter and Peter says, you know, I've got a lot of things going on this afternoon. I'm supposed to be on gate duty. Do you think you could cover it for me so I could take care of these other things? And she, she thinks, yeah, I've seen how that's done. No problem. I'll do it. But she goes out and stands at the gate and to her great surprise, her husband shows up. And she says, honey, I'm shocked to see you here. And he says, I'm surprised to be here. And she said, well, how's life been? since I died. He said, well, actually, it's been great. You know that little nurse that took care of you in the hospital? We really hit it off and we got married and we've had a great relationship. It's been wonderful. And a couple of years ago, we hit the lottery. So we've been traveling all over the world and skiing and having so much fun. It's just been wonderful. In fact, I was in a skiing accident. That's how I ended up here. She says, well, honey, you need to know to get into heaven, you have to just simply spell a word. He said, well, okay. She said the word is Czechoslovakia. (laughs) Told you it was a pretty good one, wasn't it? Some people want to know where exactly is this place heaven? And I think the Bible indicates there is a two-part answer to that question. I think the Bible indicates that there is... But part one of that answer is that there is a present heaven, we can call it maybe. There is a heaven where, as Paul talked about, someone who is a follower of Jesus dies today and Jesus hasn't yet come back. Our bodies go in the ground. Our souls go to be in this present heaven, to be in the presence of God. And I can guarantee you from what the Bible says that this present heaven is an incredible place, a spectacular, breathtaking kind of place. And it is in the presence of God. Now people will say, well, where exactly is that? I don't think the Bible really indicates. I don't think the Bible really says this is exactly where heaven is. Where this present heaven is. But I'm confident of its reality. Now the second part of that answer, of this heaven, is Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And so if you have your Bibles there, would you... Turn to 1 Corinthians 15 because I I want to look at that for a moment. First, I brought along some uh, seeds here. Really little seeds, which you'll never be able to see. But imagine, I I took one of these itsy-bitsy seeds. And I took this seed and I dug a hole in the ground and I placed it in the ground and covered it back up. Now, do you think that when I placed it in the ground, I would stand there and cry because, oh no, I have buried my seed? And it's gone forever? No, I wouldn't do that, would I? Because I know that when I place it in the ground, 
something incredible is going to happen. In fact, in this case, it is going to bloom into these beautiful flowers. That's probably true if you planted it. If I planted it, I'm not sure what would happen, actually. But it's going to bloom into these flowers. So it's not the end of that seed, even though I have buried it in the ground. There is something new yet to come. Well, listen with that picture in mind. Listen to what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 35. He says, But someone may ask, How are the dead raised? With what kind of body will they come? How foolish. But you know what? Those are our questions, aren't they? How are the dead raised? What kind of body will they have? We, we want to know that, don't we? Verse 36 continues, What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. When you sow, you do not plant the body that will be, but just a seed, perhaps of wheat or something else. But God gives it a body as He has determined, and to each kind of seed He gives its own body. And it's true, isn't it? Depending on what kind of seed you plant in the ground, that's what kind of plant you ultimately get. Verse 39. All flesh is not the same. Men have one kind of flesh, animals another, birds another, and fish another. And we know that, don't we? We look around, my body is not the same as a fish. Thank goodness. Verse 40. There are also heavenly bodies and there are earthly bodies. But the splendor of the heavenly bodies is one kind, and the splendor of the earthly bodies is another. The sun has one kind of splendor, the moon another, the stars another, and the stars differ from star in splendor. Verse 42. So it will be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown, that body that is placed in the ground when we die, is perishable. It is raised imperishable. And we know that's true, right? Our bodies wear out. They weren't made for forever in their current state. But it says that the body that is raised will be made for eternity. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. And I don't care how strong you are this morning. You're weak compared to God. It is raised, it says, in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. So Paul says, when my body goes in the ground, it goes in as one kind of body. But when Jesus returns, as Peter, as Paul described in 1 Thessalonians, and the dead in Christ are raised, we are given a new body, a different kind of body. How does all that happen? Listen to verse 51. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep. We may not all die. And that may, be, may or may not be true for us. Jesus may not come for years, and so all of us may not die. But there will be a time when Jesus returns where a lot of people have died, but some who are still living will never face death. But we will all be changed. We will all get a new body. Verse 52, in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. We're going to have a, a new and different kind of body. You know, when you place that seed in the ground, you know that something new is going to grow from that. And you know that 
that seed, just because you look at it now, you can't really tell. I mean, if I held this seed up, unless you're an expert at that kind of thing, if I held this seed up today, most of us would go, I don't know what that will grow into. We know it will grow into something, but we don't know exactly what. And when we look at the present in our lives, it's hard to get a glimpse of what the future is going to be like. Other than we know the promises of the Bible that say we will be raised to a new body. Now, I think the Bible also teaches that while we will have a new and transformed body, it won't necessarily be a totally different body. That we will be resurrected to have a body somewhat like Jesus had at His resurrection. Now, think about Jesus. When He died, His body was buried in the ground or buried in the tomb as they did in their day. But when He rose again, His body was recognizable by those who saw Him, yet it was a transformed and different body. It was a body that suddenly could walk through walls. And I don't know if we'll be able to do that in heaven. It'd be cool. But I know that we will have a new and transformed body. But I think, like Jesus, our bodies will also be recognizable. Now, maybe you'll say, well, wait a minute, Jeff. Aren't there a couple of instances after Jesus' resurrection where people didn't recognize Him? For instance, Mary in the garden on the morning of His resurrection. But if you understand the culture of their time and what really happened there, Mary, when she realized that there was somebody else roaming in the garden, probably would have put her head down because as a woman, she wouldn't look a stranger or someone else in the eye. And so with her head down, she thought it was a gardener because it never entered her mind. I mean, it was totally out of the realm of possibility for Mary that Jesus could still be alive somehow. And so with her head down and this other person there, she didn't know who it was. But when Jesus called her name and she raised her head and looked at Him, she recognized Him. What about the two men on the road to Emmaus, you may ask, who also, we understand, didn't seem to recognize Jesus at first. But if you read that passage very carefully, it says that they were kept from recognizing Jesus. I don't know why God kept them, but for some reason, God didn't want them to immediately recognize that this was Jesus. And yet, in every other instance where Jesus encountered people after His resurrection, they recognized who He was. And so I think that is an example and a glimpse for us that when Jesus comes back and our bodies are raised from the dead, it will be a new and transformed and different body, but yet it will be a recognizable body. And so people ask, one of your questions was, will I know my family and loved ones in heaven? And I think that yes, you will. I think that you will recognize each other and that you will spend eternity in the presence of God enjoying how wonderful it is to be together if you are followers of Jesus Christ. Now another question that is asked is where is this second heaven or this new heaven? Let me look at one more passage. Look at Revelation chapter 21. Revelation chapter 21, so the last, very last book in the Bible, chapter 21, which is almost the last chapter. It is the last chapter, sorry. Verse 1 says this, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, and here again is this important key to understanding heaven. 
Now the dwelling of God is with men and He will live with them. They will be His people and God Himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. I'll tell you what I think the Bible teaches here today. And this is somewhat Jeff's opinion based on what I'm studying from the Bible. I think that the second heaven or this heaven that's talked about when Jesus returns is a new earth. A completely new and transformed earth. Now, we have trouble with that because, one, we've heard a lot of things about heaven that fill our minds that aren't necessarily in Scripture. And secondly, we have trouble with that because we only know earth as this place filled with evil and sin and corruption. But when Jesus comes back, the Bible indicates that He will banish Satan and all of His followers, all of the people on earth who have chosen not to follow Jesus Christ, that He will banish them from the earth. He will banish them to a place called hell that is a horrible place. There's no way around it. The Bible's pretty clear about that. They will be taken away from the earth. And then I think the Bible is teaching that the earth will be transformed that it will be an incredibly new place, far different from what we think of it as today. And this new earth will not have any evil. There will be no sin. There will be no corruption. And what will make it heaven is that God will come to rule. God will be here. We will be in His presence. We will be with God. And again, that, as far as I'm concerned, is what makes heaven heaven. And so there, there are a lot of things that it is hard for us to fully engage our minds around and fully understand. Exactly what will our bodies be like? We're only given hints and glimpses. Exactly where is heaven? We're only given some insights and some glimpses. And so it's hard to know exactly, but there is no doubt about the fact of what makes heaven heaven is that we will be in the presence of God. And the Bible is absolutely and perfectly clear that that's what will happen. When Jesus comes back, we get to be with God. And wherever that is, that will be heaven. Now, let's see if you guys have any questions. Did you text anything in? And you guys are going to throw them up if we have any. Are they going to give me a thumbs up or uh, we don't? Oh, good. They're not on the table. If heaven is the most perfect and amazing place, what does hell look like? Um, there are some descriptions in the Bible, and I cannot, off the top of my head, cite those references for you. But there are places in the Bible that talk about uh, tremendous suffering in hell. There are places that talk about fire as being a part of hell. And some people have this image then that will be constantly on fire, and I don't know that that is an accurate picture of what's described in the Bible. But, um, but here's what makes hell, hell. What did I say makes heaven heaven? Being in the presence of God. Do you know what ultimately makes hell hell? Is the fact that we are outside the presence of God. That there is absolutely no contact with God. That we have been banished permanently forever away from Him. And so, again, I don't know exactly what heaven's going to be like. I think the Bible gives us some glimpses of the kind of suffering that may happen there. But what makes that suffering so horrendous is being outside the presence of God. All right, next question. 
will everyone else know my sin? Um, the Bible talks about that at the at the second coming, before the second heaven, that there is a sense of judgment. But I'll tell you my opinion about that, okay? Um, and do you understand that's what I'm saying? This is this is my opinion. I think based on what's taught there, that it doesn't indicate that we will necessarily stand before God, and that all of our sins will be broadcast to everyone. Okay? You see, I, I think what happens when we, if I were to die today, I, I would, I would, because I'm a Christ follower, I, I would go to this present heaven, and in a sense, that is the initial judgment that takes place there is a screening you know it's like going to the airport and uh you practically have to get undressed i don't know if that happens for going into heaven but you know you practically get undressed to be able to get on your airline now and and uh, i i think when we die there is this screening process that says yes you are a follower your name is written in the lamb's book of life or no you're not and based on that we go to a certain place and i think at the second coming there is a sense of judgment where there is a level of accountability but also that is a, a sense of reward, uh, that there is a sense of God blessing us for things that we have done that have honored Him in our lives. Okay, next question. Is there one more? That was only two of three, right? I can't count. There we go. If we look similar to the way we do now, what age will that be? Actually, we had this discussion in our office this week. Um, I don't know. And I don't think the Bible really indicates. I mean, I've heard people speculate that whatever the the prime of life is, that that's somewhat what we'll be restored to. But I don't think there's really any indication in the Bible that says it's a certain age. It's about our bodies being transformed and being different. And um, I, I think a lot of things that we find important, outward appearance, age, uh, physical abilities, that those things in heaven will no longer matter to us like they do now. Because we can't separate ourselves from seeing life through somewhat of our uh, lens of sin. And so because we see life through our lens of sin oftentimes, we have placed value on things that God doesn't necessarily place value on. And so I don't know that when we get to heaven, it's going to matter what age we are. Um, I think that will be irrelevant to us. Um, if it does matter, then God will make us the perfect age that we need to be. I'm confident of that. Okay, guys, is that it? That was all of them? One more? Okay. I heard that in heaven when you have your own room that fits your desires, is that true? I heard that you have your own room. Um, I don't know. Uh, I can make something up, but that wouldn't be very have much integrity, would it? I, I don't know. You know, Jesus says uh, in the passage in John 14 that we're going to actually just close with here in a second. Jesus says, I am going uh, to prepare a place for you. And in that place, there will be many rooms is the way it's translated. And I think so from that, we have taken on this picture that I'll have a room that's my own. And that may very well be. Um, We will have a place, I think, that we feel at home in, whether that's a room or 
You know, we also have this image from the Bible sometimes that uh, we all have our own mansion and there's all kinds of jokes that people tell about what's the size of your mansion. And I'm not sure that has any real credibility. Um, but I think that we will have a place where we are comfortable that we call home. And whatever that looks like, it will be what's right and good. Uh, and we will be very comfortable there. Um, and we'll be most comfortable, again, because it will be in the presence of God. All right, I don't know if there's any more, but we need to, to wrap up here. Let me just close with this. Here's the other most important thing I want you to hear today. There is only one way to get to heaven. Jesus said in John 14 that He was going to prepare a place for us. And then He and Thomas get into a bit of a discussion about how all that's going to happen. And this is what it says in John 14, verse 5. Thomas said to Him, Lord, we don't know where You are going, so how can we know the way? And you know what? We'd say that too, right? God, we don't really know where heaven is. We're not really sure how to get there. Could You give us a road map? Here's what Jesus said. Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through Me. Jesus makes this perfectly clear that the only way I get to go to heaven, wherever that may be, is by following Jesus. Is by committing my life to Him and allowing Him while I'm here on earth to be the leader of my life. By recognizing that I have sin in my life and I need His forgiveness. And that I believe that He died on the cross to take away my sins and I am going to trust Him to be my Savior. And that as a way to let other people know about my decision, I am publicly going to declare my faith in Jesus Christ by being baptized. Only through Jesus can I get to heaven. And while I think it's important for us to have some picture of what an incredible place heaven is going to be, it is more important for you and I that we make sure we are following Jesus Christ because He is the only way to get to heaven. So I'd say to you, if you're in this room today and you're not following Jesus right now, and you want to spend eternity in that spectacular place, then today ought to be the day that you take a step across the line of faith. You trust Jesus Christ to be your Savior, and you begin to follow Him. And when our time wraps up today, I will be right down here in the front. And if you would like to take that step, I would love to talk with you and pray with you and point you in the right direction. God, I thank You for the promise of heaven for the hope and joy that will be ours. It is a spectacular place, I am confident, God, because You promised that we get to be in Your presence. We get to spend eternity with You. And God, I cannot wait for that day. Come quickly. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.